0: Well, this morning we're talking about the love of God. And we're going to be talking about His love for the lost. And and we'll be in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, I hope and I pray that you do, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 10. This is my wife's favorite book of the Bible. And uh, and I'm excited about it. Luke chapter 10. And as you're turning there, I I just want to carefully observe... Um, There there are so many different ways that we can describe life, right? The seasons of life, changes come in life, changes go in life, people come and go. Life can be described in a number of ways. Um, One way that you can describe life is a series of unfolding questions, right? Uh, There was a a time where I was a youngster, and, and my biggest question that I had floating around in my heart was, What's for dinner? And, uh, and then there was a time I, I grew up, went through school, entered into the university, and I saw this smoking hot babe who's now the love of my life. I had this question burning in my heart, how do I get her to notice me? And uh, even, even on my journey out here, you know, there were a lot of questions floating around in my head. I, I took off after work from Fort Worth yesterday, opened my map on my phone, and I thought, well, how do I get Oklahoma and then it was pretty late at night so I was and I thought to myself how am I gonna make it my next question was is there a gas station down the road that could give me a big old cup of coffee and, and praise the Lord there was and then my next question was is there a gas station further down the road that might have a bathroom because <laughs> because I like my coffee and last night as I was laying in bed before before going to sleep I I asked the Lord, Lord, are you going to show up on Sunday morning? And I believe that the Lord said yes. Now, we have all sorts of different questions we ask in this life, but this morning we're going to be talking about the most important question, perhaps, of them all. And it's a question that a lawyer raises in Luke chapter 10. Now, we're going to start in verse 25, but before we actually read from the scriptures, I want to give sort of a, a little bit of an overview about what's happened so far in this chapter of the book of Luke. Christ Jesus had commissioned 72 disciples to go out and to preach the news of the kingdom, and he had invested in them spiritual power to heal sickness, to cast out demons, And and everywhere they went, they saw success. They saw people embrace their message. They saw the sick healed. They saw the oppressed set free. And they came back to Jesus reporting all of this good news, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And Christ's response to his disciples was, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now, picking up in verse 25, we read, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I want to pause right there and just let that question sink in. I want us to sort of marinate in that first second, because there's a reality um, that we try to distract ourselves from, right, when we are enjoying our grandkids, when we are fighting with our parents and asking for the car keys, when we are watching our youngsters play ball, right, on a Friday or a Saturday night. Um, when we are watching our favorite programs on TV or when we're breaking bread and eating a good meal, there's so many things in this life to enjoy. There's so much entertainment, right, that can, that can consume our thinking. And, and so much of life, for believers and unbelievers alike, is, is taking this one reality and holding it at arm's length, and, and that reality is the fact that every single person born into this world Is given a finite amount of time, just a few seconds in a few years, to enjoy the sunshine, to enjoy your family, to fall in love, to eat that good food, to succeed in that career. The reality is we live in a broken world, and our spirits inhabit broken bodies, corrupted by sin. And for every single individual, every soul in this room, there will come a day where you pass over into the next life. For every single person in this room, there will be a day where your breathing becomes more ragged and soon your body grows cold, your skin turns blue, and you die. And the scripture says it is appointed Once for man to die, and then the judgment. And so this lawyer raises a a very important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I achieve peace for my soul? How can I know for certain that when I die, I will be with God Almighty in glory? So that I don't need to fear the abyss of death anymore. Tell me, teacher, what must I do? And I want to tell you straight up before we get into the rest of the gospel here. You you might not believe that there's a life to come. You didn't have to believe the sun would rise this morning, and it still did, of its own accord. One day, we will die and face the judgment of Of God, your Creator, who dreamt of you, who crafted you, who formed you in your mother's womb, and gave you every opportunity in this existence to come to know Him. One day you will die and stand before Him, and you will either experience eternal life with Him forever in heaven, in the presence of His saints, in a place of love, or you will experience eternal death and damnation paying the just penalty for your sin and wickedness. And you need to know if you know if you know which of those two realities you're going to face. Well, that's what's on this lawyer's mind. He's kicking it around. And he asks Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And in verse 26, Jesus says to him, Well, what is written in the law? Right? Because the law was given to guide people in the ways of God. It displayed his perfection. It was people's invitation to know the Lord because a law reflects the nature of the lawgiver. So Jesus says, Well, tell me, what's written in the law? What did God have to say about it? How does it read to you? And in verse 27, the lawyer, smart guy, very astute man, answers, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 28, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Sounds promising. But in verse twenty-nine, wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, "Yeah, but who is my neighbor? But who's my neighbor?" Now Jesus is about to tell him a story to illustrate to him just who this neighbor he should be loving is. But before we we read that parable, this beautiful parable, uh, what people have come to call the parable of the good Samaritan, we we need to be honest in assessing the lawyer's character, right? And some of us need to be honest with ourselves because, you see, the lawyer knew the word. Now, they didn't have church back in the day. The lawyer would have gone to synagogue, right? But they still opened up the Torah. They read the prophets. They read the the wisdom literature, the Psalms and the Proverbs and, and all the books of the Old Testament. He knew the word. Jesus asked him, well, what's the law say? And the lawyer was able to tell him. And Jesus said, you know what? You're right. You're right. But just because you know the word up here does not mean that the word of God has taken root in here. The lawyer knew that God had called him to love with abandon. But knowing that you're supposed to be a lover Doesn't make you a lover And so seeking to justify himself The lawyer said Okay then Jesus Well who's my neighbor Effectively asking Jesus Well what's the very least that I gotta do What's, what's the, the very least I can get away with loving someone Who all else am I allowed to pass over because in my heart of hearts, and this, this is the honest assessment of the lawyer's character, in, in my heart of hearts, it's as though the lawyer is saying, I don't got enough love to go around. So why don't you just point out those few select special individuals that I should really give my love to? Well, Jesus has a reply. Verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he found passion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? All right, we're going to stop there. And I want to take the time. I want you to truly see the story as Jesus meant it to be seen. I'm going to invite you, if you would, even to close your eyes. Just for a minute, bear with me. Close your eyes. And I want you to envision a hot and a dusty road. The sun is beating down upon the orange rocks. And a man is walking down this road, a rich man, he's got some dusty robes, he's been walking for a while, minding his own business. As he's walking down the road, you can hear the rocks crunching under the sandals of his feet. As he turns the corner, all of a sudden he is ambushed by some angry, bloodthirsty individuals. He gives a shout of surprise. And before he can raise his arms to defend himself, he's struck upside the head, not to the ground. The men about him proceed to to kick him, to spit on him, to beat him. He's he's screaming out in pain. He's asking them to stop. He's telling them that they they can just take what they want, just let him alone. And yet they proceed to beat him to the point almost of death. And then to leave things Completely embarrassing for him. They even strip him of his clothes. They take all of his belongings and they leave him to die. Well, he knows that that if he doesn't get somewhere soon, he's done for. And so he begins to try to crawl along the ground. And I, I want you in your mind's eye to see him crawling. Now, he doesn't have a whole lot of strength left. He he spent all of his strength trying to fight off of his oppressors. And so he's crawling through the desert, and he can only make it a foot at a time. And he, he it finally settles in on him that this is it. This is the end. He doesn't have the strength left. And he, he's laying there, and, and he's maybe saying his final words to the Lord, and then... He he hears all of a sudden the sound of of more crunching rocks, more crunching sand. He hears sandals. Someone is coming to him from around the other bend in the road. And through the sweat and the blood that's clouding his vision, he he recognizes that there's a man coming and he's dressed like a priest. A man of God, one of those people that God has said should have mercy on those who need mercy. And so the man looks up, and and for a moment, he feels hope in his heart. But then, through his tear-streaked eyes, he sees the man look at him with a look of disgust, cross the road and pass him by. The same thing happens with the Levite. And the man is given over to despair. But the story doesn't end there. All of a sudden, he hears not just rocks crunching, but hoofs clapping. And around the bend comes a Samaritan. He recognizes him from his garb. This is one of those men that he, as a Jew, should have no association with. The Samaritan pauses, gets off of his beast, off his donkey, walks over to him, begins to minister to him, pouring oil on his wounds, wine on his wounds to disinfect them. He, he says, I, I have to move you now and this might hurt. And he takes the entirety of the man's dead weight, lifts him up in his arms, sets him on the donkey, and with the man hanging over the neck of, of the donkey, he begins to walk him into town. You can open your eyes now. Did you see it? Did you see mercy and compassion in the midst of despair? You see, as Jesus was telling this parable, it would have shocked his Jewish listeners. And they were right to be shocked. Because as Jesus is describing this man's situation, this man who was beaten almost to death, who was robbed and left to die, naked and exposed to the world and to everyone, to the sun beating down on him, getting burned up in the sun, Two individuals had come his way, and they were the individuals you would have expected, beyond anyone else, to have offered assistance. They were the men of God. Let, let's make it relevant. They went to Elite Baptist. First Baptist Welitka. Right? They gave their tithes and their offerings. One day every week, they went to a building with a cross on top of it. When they met with their people, they talked about the love of God. And yet, when they saw this man broken and bruised, maybe because they didn't want to get their hands dirty, right? I mean, after all, they were religious people. In the law, you weren't supposed to touch someone that was dead, or otherwise you'd be ceremoniously unclean. So, so maybe just... Just not to risk it, they should have kept their distance. I think sometimes we as church people feel that way. When we see our neighbors or our family members or that homeless person on the street, we see these people in messy situations, adulterous affairs, addicted to drugs, unclean people who do not have it all put together. And we say, man, it's a dirty person. Or man, it's a pretty daunting task. Right? Like this, this guy didn't need a band-aid on a scraped knee. He was beaten almost to death. And maybe we justify ourselves not helping people. We say, I don't know if I have the, the skill set to handle that. I'm not a surgeon. Well, I ain't a pastor. I don't, I don't know if I really have the words that God would have me say to them. So I'm just going to say, Lord, take care. Maybe the priest and the Levite prayed a little prayer for him as they passed him by and left him to die. How much despair that man must have felt in his hour of greatest that the people of God passed him by. But the story didn't end there. You see, someone came, a, a, who we called a good Samaritan, And just for a little bit of context, the the Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with each other, all right? The the Jews considered the Samaritans to be barbarians. They had interbred. There was what we call syncretism in their religion. They had had mixed some of the truth with lies. They they had bastardized the faith. They they were just animals, practically. You just didn't talk to them. They were were enemies, right? Right? But Jesus says when the Samaritan saw the man broken and abandoned and unable to save himself in his heart the Samaritan felt compassion. He just saw the man and he hurt for him. He saw the man and he couldn't help but help him. He couldn't help but love him. And so he didn't just pray a prayer up there to the man upstairs. He took action. And, and, it, and he didn't just take action. He made a sacrifice. He got off of his donkey. He, he cleaned the man's wounds with oil and wine. He bandaged him up. He put him on. Do you know what? That means that man didn't have any oil or wine to drink anymore or to dip his bread in. And he didn't just use his oil and his wine, he he put him on the donkey. Do you know what that means? It means all of a sudden, that man is the one walking. And so a fella that had an, an easy ride, riding his donkey on his journey, all of a sudden is destined to have some sore, achy legs, because he had to give his steed up to save someone's life. And he takes him into the inn. And this whole time he's doing this, he's, he has other business, right? The scripture said he was on a journey. So he is tabling other priorities. And he is sacrificing his food and drink. And he is sacrificing his comfort. And he takes him to an inn where he can rest and recuperate. And it says he gives the innkeeper two denarii. A denarii was a full day's wages. He gave him two full days' wages and said, take care of him. I have to go now. When I come back, I will pay his bill in full. He leaves it open-ended. He doesn't say, I'm willing to pay five denarii at the most. Well, I'm feeling super generous today. Ten denarii. I'll give ten denarii. He says, you got a blank check. And I want you to do whatever needs doing to make sure that this man makes it. Effectively, he said, I'm going to pay it all. I don't want to see this guy die. Do whatever you're doing, I'm going to pay it all. And Jesus says, so you tell me, lawyer. And those three people, which one proved themselves To be a neighbor. And now we come to it. In verse 37. And he being the lawyer said. The one who showed mercy. Toward him. Then Jesus said to him. You go. And you do the same. You go. And you do the same. You know who gets eternal life. Some of you. Bible people know the right answer, Sunday school answer? Well, those who have repented of their sins place their faith in Jesus Christ. You know what? That's true. You know who will receive eternal life? Those who love your neighbors. You know why? Because you cannot be born again of God and not have the heart of God. You cannot have received the mercy of God and not show others the mercy of God. You see, for anyone here who is truly saved, I want you to recognize, I want you to testify that once upon a time, you were just like that man. Now, you might not have been physically beaten. You might not have been physically stripped naked. You might not have been robbed of everything you had. But you know what the Bible says? It says that Satan is like a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. That sin robs us of life. That we are dead in our sins and trespasses under the full wrath of God for the wicked things that we've done. And I, brothers and sisters, we have all done wicked things. Ain't a person in this room can say, I've been saved since I was born. That ain't true. We can't save ourselves, you see. You know, someone in here today, and you know what I'm talking about. I pray that there are people in here that can look back and say, man, there was, there was a time where all the joy in my life had been sucked out of me. I was afflicted with temptation. I was addicted to pornography. I was, I was a carousing man or a carousing woman. I was, I was consumed with greed and it was eating me alive on the inside. I was bitter and unforgiven. I had no joy in this world. I had no hope for the future. It's like I was laying there broken and I couldn't fix myself and then someone told me the gospel and Jesus saved me and Jesus changed me and Jesus healed me and Jesus paid it all. Pray that there are people in here that can testify like that. The reality is, there may be someone in here, maybe many people in here, that don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about what it feels like to be healed and to be saved. You haven't experienced that, but all too well, you know what it feels like to be broken and to be alone. And if that's you, I want to be real with you. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. You say, man, I feel dead inside. Well, that's because you are. That's because you are. And your situation is dire. This man was left on a road, dusty, rocky road, and his skin was getting burned up by the sun. But if you die in your sins, it ain't just your skin going to burn up. The scripture says there is a lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels and if we die in our sins we will suffer for eternity. Souls burning up in the wrath of God. But it don't have to be that way because we have a good Samaritan. The good Samaritan in this story is a representative of is a type of Jesus. You see, you recall, the Samaritan was moved with compassion. And the scripture reminds us that that God isn't indifferent to us. God is a God of love. That he so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish have everlasting life. God, look down on us. He sees you where you're at and he loves you in spite of yourself. In fact, he loves you so much that he came to rescue you. He didn't have to. The Samaritan could have passed by just like the priest, just like the Levite. But he saw the man and his heart broke for him. And he said, I'm going to give whatever it takes to save that man. He gave up his oil and wine. He gave up the comfort of his donkey. He gave up his day's wages, he gave up a lot. Jesus gave his life. He was born into this world of a virgin. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. He lived a life of complete holiness. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, He loved the loveless. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He was a perfect man. He couldn't levy one charge against him. And yet, like a sheep who's silent before its shears, he went to the cross. He said, I have authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again. He said, I've got some people out there and they've got a big old bill. Their sins call for an infinite punishment. And my blood alone can pay that infinite price. And so he chose to get beaten on your behalf. And he chose to get laughed at and spit on in your place. And hanging on a cross, crucified between two sinners, abandoned by all of his friends, abandoned by all of his followers, He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, the wrath of God fell on him. Now, I want to make a quick detour just so that if you don't understand what the cross means, I want you to understand it. God is good. He is holy. Because he is holy, he must judge sin. He isn't a jerk on a cloud looking to throw down lightning bolts. He's just good. It's like if someone raped and murdered your wife and you were standing in a courtroom, right? And everyone knows he did it. And the judge is reading the charges, and he says, Well, Mr. Smith, we know that this man raped and murdered your wife, but looking at his life, we see he did a lot of good things. He ate his vegetables, and he paid his taxes, and he even helped his his elderly lady across the street carry out her garbage. He's done an awful lot of good things. I think we're going to let this one slide. You would stand up in that courtroom, and you would say, You're a bad judge. I want justice. God ain't a bad judge. He's too good for that. God doesn't let sin slide. He's too good for that. That's bad news for people like you. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a poor dude, college student, whatever. If I walked out here in the parking lot and yeah, broke in someone's windshield, that would be a problem for me because I can't afford to pay for that. Now, that person has two options. They could prosecute me. They could make me pay every penny, in which case I would be in an awful lot of trouble. Or they could say, Tristan, you're a young man. You've got a wife, three little babies, one on the way. We know you don't have a whole lot. I moved in compassion for you. You made a mistake. You shouldn't have done it. I forgive you for this. He, he could do that. But if he does that, does the window replace itself? No. If I don't pay for it, who pays for it? That person pays for it. And that's what happened on the cross. God looked at us broken in our sin, dead in our sin. He said, I'm going to have to rain the judgment down. But I love him, and I want there to be another way. But if I forgive him, someone's going to have to pay for it. Well, who's going to pay for it? And Jesus said, I will. It's like the wrath of God is a big old cloud pregnant with rain, and it's going to rain down. It's either going to rain on top of your head, or it's going to rain on an umbrella. If you're under that umbrella, you get a... Jesus is the umbrella, because on the cross, the wrath of God fell on him. It, It cost... Jesus So now we come full circle. The lawyer said, "Well, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus said, "Well, what's the law say?" Lawyer said, "Well it says, it says I have to love God and love people." Jesus said, "Well, you're right?" The lawyer said, "Well, what people?" Jesus said, "Which one of those three guys?" proved himself to be a neighbor to that man. And pierced to his heart, the lawyer could only say, the one who showed him mercy. God's people are a merciful people because God's people have experienced the mercy of God. And church, there is a world full of broken people There is a world full of people who are lost in their sins. Their families are a mess. Their finances are not in order. Their bellies are hungry. And and most important of all, their souls are in jeopardy. And you have been entrusted with the word of life. And you will be held accountable for how you handle it. How do you handle your resources? Do you spend them on yourselves or do you minister to the needy? How do you handle your time? Do you spend it selfishly on vain entertainment or do you sow into the kingdom, sacrificing your time, do life with people, to make disciples, to teach people, to, them, to share the gospel? How do you handle your name? Do you protect it from people thinking you're crazy? Do you, do you keep your name? Proper, so that people won't judge you for being too radical? Or do you say, people can say whatever they want to say about me. God made me to serve Him in His kingdom. God made me to be a minister in this world. God saved me so that I would become a priest, so that I would be a minister of the gospel. The world needs you. God has called us to love our fellow man. In every way. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And it will cost you. But you know what? That's a price worth paying. That's a price worth paying. To see broken people made well. To see broken families restored. To see hungry bellies filled. And see, the name of our Savior lifted on high. Don't play church. Don't come in here and sing songs and play at it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. That's the word of God. So here's what we're going to do. I don't, I don't know how you all typically handle these things, but anytime the word of God is preached, there is a time to respond. All right? Ain't no one in here to plead ignorance anymore. And so here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to pray. And maybe, do you do music? We'll have some music. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, respond. If in your mind you, you've been burdened for someone, you know someone who's who's broken just like this man was broken. You know someone who's lost in sin. You know someone who has a need that you can meet Pray for them, and commit yourself to minister to them. And if you don't know Jesus, if all you know, and, and you may have come to this church for a long time, played a Christian, whatever, but I'm asking, and I'm being real, I'm being personal with you, if you don't have peace in this life, if you don't have peace with God, if you feel the weight of your guilt, if you know your sins, if you have no joy, no peace, Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He said that when a single person in this world would come on to him, that he would cast away. God wants you. All you have to do is respond. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus, who not only loved you, but died and gave himself for you. Took your sins to the cross, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead to prove you could really have life in him.